When I was growing up, in my extended family, it was um, nothing short of a, of a hallmark family Christmas and that the matriarchs and the patriarchs of the family all tried really hard to make Christmas a big deal. It was a very close family, still is, and Christmas is a big deal. And so when Polaris started in 1999, and I was here as a 22-year-old uh, rookie pastor, um, I, I got frustrated with what our original, uh, the founding senior pastor um, would say at Christmas time. He was always saying, you know, I know Christmas is, is so hard for so many people. Now, I had no category for this. I said, what are you talking about Christmas being hard? Christmas is magical, and you are not to say that Christmas is difficult. It's amazing, and that's just the way it is for everybody. Like, he used to get really upset and protective of Christmas. And now I realize um, <clears throat> that he was more right than I thought about Christmas. Uh, over the years, you just kind of learn, because now this is my 25th Christmas at Polaris and my 25th Christmas in ministry. And I realize now Christmas can be really, really hard for people. Uh, I've sort of seen uh, Christmas as a magnifying glass. In other words, if you had a great year, Christmas uh, magnifies that. It amps that up. And if you've had loss in the past year, Christmas amps that up. And so it, it sort of um, uh, creates extremes based on what you're going through and, uh, and what your life has been like leading up to it. And so what I would say is Christmas is volatile. Christmas is volatile. Maybe that's your, uh, that's your Hallmark movie is a, a very volatile Christmas. Uh, and and uh, probably a, a, an interesting movie to go, to go see. And while Christmas is, is emotionally volatile, I also realize that Christmas magnifies pressures. Like there's this pressure, especially if you have kids. Like if you have kids, and I guess if you have kids and you're a mom, there's this pressure to get Christmas just right for everybody. And, and so... Um, I have come to believe that Christmas can be very stressful. Um, if we're not careful, it can just be this kind of long to-do list. And by the time you get the last to-do checked off, it's January. And you haven't had any time to reflect yourself on Christmas, um, on its meaning, on its significance. So um, let me talk for a minute about the most important question in the history of the world. This is my take on the most important question in the history of the world. I obsess over this question. Uh, this question... Uh, gives me distance from a lot of things. I ask this question uh, in meetings. I ask this question when I read scripture. I ask this question when I prepare my sermons. Now, I ask a different question when I deliver my sermons, and that's, are you sure your zipper's up? That's the question that goes through my mind when I'm teaching, um, even though I've checked 35 times every Sunday morning. Um, 
But a different question goes through my mind while I'm preparing. And it's the same question in every conversation I'm in. It's a question that gives me sanity. It's a question that gives me um, detachment, maybe even uh, an unhealthy level of detachment with, with certain kinds of drama. Are you ready to hear what the most important question in the history of the world is? Life-changing question, what could it be? Here it is. So what? So what? That's, that, that question sounds rude, but it's kind because it provides clarity. So what? Why does it even matter? And so when you look at a season like Christmas that is so volatile, with so many expectations and so much pressure, I think it's important to bring that important question to the table, so what? So when we're doing this series about the promise of, of, of Christmas, naturally, if we're going to figure out what the promises of Christmas are, we need to spend some time answering the question, so what? What is the so what of Christmas? Why does it really matter? So that's what I'm going to do today. Take about 20 minutes or so and, 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 and talk about the so what of Christmas. So let's start with Luke chapter 2. This is the passage of the Bible that was made famous in Charlie Brown Christmas by Linus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and, in clothes and, 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 cloths and uh, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the first step in arriving at the so what of Christmas is to see the aggressive nature of God in this story. The nativity story is actually an aggressive story that presents an aggressive God. And I think that's interesting because when we think about the nativity, like we think about the manger scene, it's often presented as so peaceful, so calm, so happy. It's fascinating to me. You look at, the, at, at art with the nativity scene and you see Mary and Joseph gazing at each other, smiling. They've just come off of hours and hours and hours of travel on a donkey. Mary is 
full-term pregnant uh, when she gets off the donkey, and yet her hair is blow-dried, her makeup is perfect. And they're just, she, she gives birth in a barn, and, and she's just so happy after that experience and that travel. So, so when we drive to Hilton Head in an SUV, it's at least three hours till my wife and I even want to talk to each other. And yet her and Joseph are, are, are just in such a good place. Um, but the truth of the, of the nativity story is that, is that it presents this, this aggressive God who um, invaded the world at that moment. Um, he took care of business his way at that moment. Here's what Philippians 2 says. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The actual wording there is like grasp or clung to. He didn't hang on to his comfort of his heavenly home, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So as far as the Bible is concerned, Jesus is fully God in the flesh. He left the comforts and certainty of heaven to come here. Let's talk about why he did this. So I want to show you a prophecy from the Old Testament about the nativity. And we're going to see the aggressive nature of God through this prophecy. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65. And Isaiah is a book where, where God basically says, listen, you guys, you guys are a wayward, stubborn, rebellious people. And I see it. But I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send you a savior to fix it. And Isaiah says it with different metaphors over, and that's the book of Isaiah, different metaphors of God saying, I see your rebellion, and I'm going to do something about it for you. I'm going to come fix it. I'm going to send a Savior to save you from your own rebellion. And this passage in Isaiah has become for me, just years ago, um, this, this driving force to my approach to everything that is church in everything that is people, and everything that it is to be a pastor in God's church. Here we go. Isaiah 65, God says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation of people that did not call on my name. I said, here I am, here I am. Now, the typical religious approach to God is God is this stern figure with his back to people, and they're trying to beg for his approval. But what we see in Isaiah 65 is God is aggressive, and he's the aggressor in the relationship. He's like, you weren't even looking for me, but I'm coming. God is aggressive, and he's the aggressor. So the first part of establishing a so what? for Christmas is to realize that in this story, we see an aggressive God who, who basically comes down there. I'm coming down there, but it's not 
for vengeance. It's to be found by us. The second part that we got to understand to establish the so what of Christmas um, goes back to the word transactional. I've talked a lot about transactional, transaction and transactional friendship and transactional relationships over the past few months. And it seems to resonate. And I think it's one of those things that has a shelf life, even for me. The idea of of, um, transaction is built into our modern Western culture. It's the American way. You, You do a job, you get paid. You buy, you pay for the thing, you get the thing. We think about transactions, uh, transactional relationships with gift giving, right? When we buy a gift, we're thinking about, okay, now they're probably going to give me this gift, and so maybe you don't. This is, this is the way I often approach it. It's like, they might do this, so I should probably come in, right? It, maybe is this like a $20 level? Is this a you know, $30 level? And then the sentimental scale, is this just kind of a, you know, a, a multi-tool kind of a occasion? Or is this like something that needs to come from the heart, and like it's transactional? The weather today, <coughs> this is a garbage weather day right? So I woke up, looked outside, grumbling, and you know what I said to myself? I said to myself, well, we earned this. We had two amazing days of weather. So we even approached the weather with a transactional mindset. We're transactional, this for that. If you do something good, you expect to, to, to be paid. If you do something bad, you expect to be paid. This for that. We bring that to religion as well. I can't believe how often a transactional mindset is brought into church. But a transactional approach to God is far from biblical. So here's what um, Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Grace means undeserved favor. It's an undeserved gift. It's not transactional. So friendship with God is not transactional. And we see that in the Christmas story. Go back to Philippians 2 and we really see it. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Uh, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Right, That's the Christmas story, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, the essence of the Christmas story. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, the Christmas story doesn't really end in the manger. It ends at the cross because the human, the God who became human and was born in the manger, ultimately went to the cross and he went to the cross to pay our debt. See, God is transactional. There's a debt that has to be paid, all the stuff that we, the rebellious things we do and say and how we treat people, it's got to be paid. It's a transaction for that. The difference is we're not the ones paying the transaction. Jesus paid our death penalty for us on the cross because God doesn't want a transactional relationship with us. 
And to show it, he paid the price for us. Here's what Colossians 1 says. Life-changing passage of the Bible. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. So what we earned from God, what we earned was judgment. But what we received was Jesus paying our death penalty for us so that we are holy in the sight of God, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm a professional Christian. What I can tell you is on my best day, I never deserve to be holy in the sight of God without blemish and free from accusation. So it is not a transactional relationship because I've never earned that standing with God. But Jesus did, and he paid that for us. So we learn that God is aggressive and that God never wanted a transactional friendship with us. It's a grace-based friendship. And that leads us to the so what of Christmas. And band can come up for the last song. Here's the so what of Christmas. This is.